You're listening to What is Black Podcast, a podcast where we have conversations about issues that impact parenting Black children. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. Today's episode begins a new feature of the podcast where we'll have interviews with children's authors that write books that tackle issues of what it's like to grow up as a Black child. I love reading and find that books are a great conversation starter to tackle tough issues or just to learn about others' experiences or even reflect back your or your children's um, experiences. I hope you enjoy the show. So let's get started. So welcome everyone to another episode of What is Black Podcast. I am so excited to have um, author and editor E.B. Zaboy um, as my guest today. Welcome, E.B. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So Evie is like I've been I've been I've been a fan um, since I, as I mentioned earlier I read American Street I have pride on um, on audiobook and when I heard about the anthology Black Enough stories of being young and black in America I was like oh I, I have to I have to track you down to to interview for my podcast because I think the this book is to me is really the essence of why I wanted to do the podcast, and I had the had the um, the honor of also speaking to one of to one of the authors um, in the in the book Leah Henderson earlier, which will be part of um, part of this this episode. Um, so I wanted to first um, thank you for writing this book, but also give give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and share a little bit more about who who you are. Uh, who am I? That's a broad question. <laughs> Uh, in terms of myself as a published author, uh, while well, American Street was my debut novel, Pride is my sophomore novel, and uh, Black Enough um, is it, it, it represents my long history of being published in anthologies. I got my first big break in an anthology um, about 10, 15 years ago. Anthologies were all the rage. As an educator, I always looking for short stories to share with students and anthologies. There aren't enough, uh, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to put together a collection of short stories for teen readers featuring black authors and black characters. But that is not the sum total of who I am. (laughs) And and I I appreciate that. I probably should have been more specific. So I think think you were (laughs) that introduction about... um, about your your role, one of your roles as being an author um, and a writer was important. I know you're more than that, and I think I think that sort of segues into this discussion about black enough. And I think right. you know when we ask that question, what is black? And I, and then of course that's that's also the name of my podcast. But I think to me that's like the essence. Like if again I ask you that that general question, so who are you? Or even I ask you that question, so what is it to be black? So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about how how does that how did how did that question come about, or how did the even the title, the concept of the book came come about um, to to answer that question or to even intrigue that question? Well, for me, I am I was born in Haiti, so I am an immigrant uh, to the United States. I came here when I was four, and the first neighborhood I moved into moved to was called Bushwick in Brooklyn, New York. And it was, um, it still is for the most part, it was a mostly black and brown community. And I wasn't, um, I 
had a very sheltered childhood. My mother was an immigrant, and she was kind of very overprotective. Nope, she was very overprotective. So throughout between the ages about four and ten, I watched the world from a window, from an upstairs window, and I always felt that like I was an observer, and uh, in, in terms of watching black childhood on the street and not never really participating until much later on. And I still feel like I'm an observer of black American life. Uh, I'm part of it. I interact with it. But sometimes, many times, I retreat into myself, into my Haitianness, into my Caribbeanness, and more recently into my Africanness. And when I say African, my husband is half Liberian, which is where my last name comes from. And a lot of my friends are either Nigerian or Ghanaian or Senegalese, uh, some South African friends. And you know, I have many Caribbean friends as well. And over time, I've seen that we have more in common than not. Um, in terms of my immigrant, black immigrant friends, we have more, much more in common in terms of our strict upbringing, our sheltered upbringing, uh, what our parents um, are, are the dreams that our parents have for us. Uh, so in terms of that, I see the differences and similarities much more clearer as a sort of outsider to black American identity. However, I, I participate in black American identity. Um, uh, for the most part, I do feel like I am more African American than Haitian American. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, the different parts of myself, my family dynamics, allows me to dip into different aspects of black or African identity. Uh, a lot of my black American friends uh, really are very Afrocentric. What I mean is that they never fully assimilated into American life. Um, some of my friends uh, celebrate Kwanzaa uh, uh, and mm-hmm. they wear a coward print or a lot of them grew up vegan or vegetarian. Um, many of my friends um, had natural hair their whole lives, and their parents made made it so. When it was uncool to have natural hair, you know, in in the eighties as a teenager or in the nineties as a teenager, they had natural hair. Um, so, in terms of that, I had that. I have that broad perspective of blackness. Um, and there's still things that I still am not familiar with, um, and which is why I invited some of the authors to contribute stories to the anthology. But overall, in terms of the books that are being published for teen, for young readers now, um, from what the media portrays about blackness, I know for a fact that we are much more diverse. Our culture is much much richer than what is presented in the media. Um, and especially because I'm a New Yorker. New York has so many different types of blackness. I grew up with Muslim girls, and within, um, in, uh, within the Muslim community in my Brooklyn and Queens neighborhood, there were the Sunni Muslims and there were the Nation of Islam Muslims. Uh, there were, you know, there were the black American girls who went down south over the weekend, and there were the girls whose family have always been in New York and they can't remember when they migrated up north. And the Carib- my Caribbean friends, you have the Jamaicans, the Trinidadians, the Haitians, we're all so incredibly different, but so similar in 
or how we engage with blackness and our culture. And that's where I like to say that we are more African than not. So in terms of the authors that you chose, and there are like 16, mm-hmm. 16 additional authors um, as part of the anthology, what was, how, did, how did you go about that process of selecting which authors you choose? And, I, and I, I presume that they were all like, you know, just like ready to go when you asked them. But I was just wondering what that process was to, to get that diversity in stories and experiences um, for the book. Well, there were a handful of black authors publishing you know, they still are publishing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a lot comparatively. Comparatively, it's not a lot at all. But to me, I've been um, writing and trying to get published for almost 15 years, and it's more than we had before. So in that case, uh, the stories that get uh, the most attention are the ones that have to do with issues, Uh, and black children in the constant state of duress, Um, my book American Street being one of them, and that those stories are very important. However, uh, it may be, and because those stories are important and they tend to be very successful, I was wondering whether or not those kinds of stories, that sort of single story of the black experience, will keep getting published because, one, they are important, and two, they do very well uh, commercially. So... I wanted to create a, like, a one-stop shop where you don't get that single story. You don't get that same view of the black experience, one that is not always pushing up against race or violence or trauma, um, a, just a short story, short stories that are slice-of-life stories. And if race is addressed in a story, it comes from a different angle, a different perspective that we haven't seen before. Um, I was looking at uh, blackness uh, across the country, across America, and I was thinking, uh, when I first was putting it together, I was thinking of different parts of America um, wanting to be represented in the anthology. Uh, In my initial ask for the authors, I had said I wanted urban and I wanted rural. I want to see black kids in rural settings. What is it like? Uh, for somebody to interact with uh, just a dark night <laughs> without street lights, just the stars at night. What are they doing? You know, what's, what's it like for black kids to be in nature, um, climbing trees and, be, you know, having their toes um, um, in grass? Um, I wanted to see some backwoods stories. Um, I wanted to see farm, and if anybody had a farm story they wanted to share, I also wanted to see what's it like to be a teenager and wealthy. And I knew that one of the authors grew up um, in one of the wealthiest counties, uh, if not the wealthiest black county in the United States, which is probably PG County or the Maryland suburbs, D.C. suburbs. Um, I want to see Atlanta, what is considered, which is considered a black mecca. So in terms of that, I was asking for setting. Setting came to mind, and I also knew some personal information about the authors. Um, you said you interviewed Leah Henderson. I know that Leah Henderson attended boarding school, and I definitely wanted to have a boarding school experience for a black, a black character and a reader. Uh, for them to see that it, what is the ultimate white space that you could place a, a 
black teenager. And I think that's a, a very wealthy New England boarding school. And what is she doing? How is that character navigating that space? I wanted to see queer stories, question, um, and I didn't necessarily want them to be questioning. I want my I wanted my gay characters to just be gay and just having an ex- a moment in the story. So overall, um, it started with sort uh, setting and whatever it is that I knew about the characters. I knew Danielle Clayton grew up in the Maryland suburbs. I know Nick Stone is from Atlanta. I knew that uh, Renee Watson is from the Pacific Northwest, uh, Portland, Oregon. I knew that Brandy Colbert uh, grew up in the Midwest. Uh, so these are all these were all different types of experiences that I wanted in the anthology. Now, have you um, gotten any feedback yet from from young adults who have read the novel and shared you know shared their I guess their their understanding or or what you wanted to get out of, what you hoped that they would get out of the book? Well, um, I, I knew, well, the reviews tell me, but those are not young readers. I have, it came out earlier this month, That's true. Um, That's true. maybe about 21 days ago. Uh, and um, it, I think this is one of those books I know that what I think what publishers call it, it has a long tail. Uh, young readers are going to keep uh, discovering it over and over again. Um, that that's my hope for it. Um, so I haven't done any school visits around the anthology yet, but I have not. I you know I I don't check Goodreads or anything like that. Um, so so far it's been positive in terms of the two events that we had. We had a launch event at the Langston Hughes House in Harlem with I2 Arts Collective, and then we had uh, an event that was packed standing room only at Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C. So I think I would have you know, loved to have something like this when I was a teenager. So I think the, the feedback will be positive, I'm sure. And I, and, I, and, I sort of, and I agree with you. I mean, I sort of sort of tested it out the other night when I was over um, at my family's house. My niece um, is in, in sixth grade, and she's like, oh, what book are you reading? Um, because she's very she she loves to read, which is which I think is great. And you know, when I showed her the title of the book, she started opening it. And I think you know, I will probably pass this book on to her um, to read. Because again, I think some of those, like you said, some of the experiences um, outside of, I mean, there have been very very great books written about um, situational. Um, with African Americans in certain situations and certain, mm-hmm. um, like I said, trauma and stress. But I think this book, what's nice about this book, like you said, you could find, you know, even if you had an index, right? Okay, what type of person, right? You could find that um, experience in this book, which I think is great. Right. Yeah, there's something for everyone here. So you said as a teenager, you would have loved to read this book. What do you, what do you think your 17-year-old self would have felt about the book? Or how do you think they would have yourself would have felt about this reading this anthology? Well, interestingly enough, when I was 17, I remember there being a lot of anthologies. Um, I remember having to read um, sections of uh, the Northern Anthology of African American Literature edited by Henry Louis Gates. Um, we, there were like these textbook anthologies that we didn't have to read the whole book but we could like find a story that we like, a title that sounded interesting, and dive right in. 
um, I needed something like this. I needed to know that there was there were different ways of being black when I was 17. Um, a lot of what I saw in my high school was pop culture. Um, just this obvious way of being black at that time, it was the late 90s, um, and every girl had the same hairstyle. Everybody was wearing the same clothes. I did not know that I could be black and bohemian, that I could be a black poet, that I could grow an afro or dreads until I started venturing out of my Queens neighborhood. And it would have opened up the world to me. I would have experienced, I would have seen a little bit of what it is to be black in different parts of the country. And I probably would have been um, more inclined to apply to an HBCU. You know, I would have Mm -hmm. um, been prepared for college and the types of different the different types of black people I met in college, I I met people who were from Texas who had mansions. <laughs> um, not that they were wealthy, it's just that the houses are bigger in Texas. And if I read a story like that, I would have, you know, had some idea that not every black teenager lives the way I do. So sort of, I had an opportunity to to interview. Oh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna met. Um, misspeak the person's name but in the, the what I got out of the interview was a quote about um windows and mirrors or mirrors and windows mm-hmm. and how those are bishop yeah yes thank you thank uh, you thank you so I didn't get to, mm-hmm. get to speak with her but I got to speak with um a professor who of children's literature I'm blanking out and I apologize she's she's great I need to follow up with her anyway um that she mm-hmm. she worked with her, and I think she was a mentor. And I love that that understanding of, or getting to understand mirrors and windows, and how books can can be that for kids. And I was just wondering, does that does that speak to you, or is that one of your hopes for 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 books that you write, or even this anthology? Uh, yes. Uh, however. I, um, the windows part of that analogy I've been thinking about recently, um, I wouldn't want the gaze to be there. Okay. You know, it's more, I like, I'm not sure who came up with it and I'm not sure if it's part of that same talk by Rudine Sims Bishop, the idea of sliding doors that, you know, there's, you could see through the window, but you have the opportunity to open that door and step into that life. Um, I would rather readers from all backgrounds to be able to step into the life of a black teen Um, and for even black teenagers to step into their own lives, to step into themselves uh, and to step out as well, to look at, you know, to see what it is that their experiences and how their lives are unfolding, to see it on the page, right, Mm -hmm. and to be able to assess their lives in that way. And readers who don't share those same experiences, I want them to step into the skin of a character. And for me, I'm a craft nerd. Uh, I think good writing is so important, and that's a key to one of those sliding doors. You know, you create empathy with the words that you choose, the, the setting, the tone, the voice, the character, the plot, so that readers can not only empathize, but they really, really can feel with, um, you know, to, to, to sympathize, to feel what it is that the character is feeling. 
uh, while they're reading um, the story. Okay, that's a fair that's a fair point, and I like that. And I hadn't I hadn't heard about the sliding the sliding door. So we'll just add to that. We'll just continue building onto the house. Right, about right. Communities for readers. Um, before before we wrap up, I I did want to talk a little bit about. Um, your short story that you contri- contributed to the anthology, The Revolution of Nigeria Jones. I won't give too much away, but I was just wondering for you, what, what, was, what was it about the setting um, that inspired you to write this, to write this piece? And, and what, were you, what, were you hoping, like, what, was, what were you hoping to do with the character um, in the setting that you chose? For me, um, there's, one of the most pivotal moments of my adolescence uh, was late high school, 17 to 21, right? Mm-hmm. That's college age. And I made a huge, you know, I, I did a 180 at that time. Uh, let's say when I was applying to college, um, I had a perm, I had relaxed hair, and I was going to be a political science minor, and my plan was to join a sorority, um, a.k.a. Alpha, Kaba Alpha. Uh, by the time I was almost finished with college, I had a huge afro. Um, I wore only vintage clothes. I was a vegan, <laughs> and I read a lot, and I was a spoken word poet. Oh. Um, so at that time, it was my professors who influenced me and I got into a different set of, I had a new set of friends. I was into very different things. And I, that's where I found the most joy. And I don't see that sort of mindset represented in literature for young people. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned before that I am fascinated by my friends, my African American friends who grew up Rasta, um, who were vegan when nobody was doing vegan. I wanted to highlight that, African-Americans, um, the Caribbean-American community were huge on vegetarian and um, that clean living that we associate with white hipsters. Um, a lot of Caribbean-Americans that African-Americans were doing it first in, um, in Brooklyn. Not necessarily first, but um, my old neighborhood of Flatbush, Brooklyn, um, has been gentrified. And there are all these, like, juice bars and vegan places and I'm like, we had those before the change. Um, so I wanted to really focus on this sort of African-American subculture. And when I was in college, everyone was advocating for Mumia Abu-Jamal, who was a political prisoner. He was on death row. And there would always be this free all political prisoners protest. Uh, and that's when I learned about MOVE in Philadelphia, the MOVE bombing. Um, it was a community of, they were, I believe they were vegan, uh, and they cared for a lot of animals and they had dreadlocks and they were really this left of center group, radical group, and they were misunderstood. And because of that, they, you know, they were bombed for more reasons, you know, there were more reasons to that, but they, they it's considered the only bombing of U.S. citizens by U.S. Um, law enforcement in American history. Uh, so I wanted to pay homage to that, to pay, to think about what it is to be black and not be assimilated into American life. 
And that this goes back to the Garvey, Garvey, Market Garvey movement, the Garveyites, Nation of Islam, all these subcultures who were, you know, who wanted to go back to a certain way of life. So in putting the anthology together, I was thinking, okay, there are some stories where the kid, you know, the, the, the teen is a, an Oreo, or the teen has really assimilated into white American identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I were to, if there's anything that would probably be missing in the anthology would be a black radical identity, right? So if, mm-hmm. in terms of like what would be the blackest thing, the blackest idea, and then to flip it on its head with my teen character pushing back against that too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, you, you wonder if she is going to hold on to her tradition or assimilate into American life to follow her dreams. And I think, and I, and I, because the way that it ended, I mean, I, I think it's sort of left on a cliffhanger and mm-hmm. I'm glad that, I'm glad that you, well, for me, for me as a reader, like answered that question, I'm like, okay, I can, I can definitely see that. But also too, I think, you know, I'll put on my other hat, like being a pediatrician and developmentally, I think that's where young people, there's an understanding. I think even as an adult reading this book, right, I think it's kind of like an understanding of the adolescent experience. There mm-hmm. is that, they're, they're, they have an opportunity to, to make choices and they're at a position, they're at a time in their life where um, there's so many things going on. They're trying to learn who they are develop, you know, develop those skills that they're going to need to take one to continue, you know, into adulthood. And I think that to me, that's like very poignant. It's like, okay, yeah, that's what happens in adolescence, right? You have to decide and make decisions based on what experiences um, you absorb, observe, and then decide to um, decide to take on, which I think was, which I think was done very well. Right. Especially when um, those your upbringing is very extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this could be any, I mean, any child from any background could put themselves in this situation when your parents' views are so extreme, right? And you want so much to assimilate into whatever it is that the rest of the kids are doing to American life. How much of that upbringing do you give up and how much of it do you discard? I mean, how much of it do you keep and how much of it do you discard? Oh, I totally, I I think this, that is totally relatable. I mean, I think across, again, I think if you substitute, you know, um, the extreme in terms of, of, of her experience, in terms of her parent experience, life experience, again, you can put that being an immigrant, right? I think I grew up with, I'm a first generation, so growing up with immigrant parents, you know, again, their, their things they brought from their home country, that, you know, I had to try to tease out, like, okay, do I keep, do I keep those? Do I want to assimilate? Then who do I become in that dynamic? So I think that's important. I think, again, all facets and different races, cultures, ethnicities, I think definitely you get that from these stories and you can relate. I especially love the stories about being a nerd and, you know, brought mm-hmm. me back because I grew up in the, I was a teenager in the 80s. Um, right. And in my 20s and the 90s, I'm like, okay, I remember war games. <laughs> it's like, you know, one of the mm-hmm. stories. It's okay, I totally could relate. And I was, I, I was reminiscing. So, yeah, and then the pop culture. Because I think, in, yeah, definitely when I grew up, like I love Mork and Mindy. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. many, kids, many kids probably won't know that. Oh, you're referencing uh, Lamar Giles. 
um, black nerd problem. Yes, yes. So I love the the different facets of um, teens' experiences because I mean, you know, either mm-hmm. you either you've experienced it, or I, and I think even young readers when they read this, they either know somebody they've experienced it or they can relate. They can relate to the experiences, whether or not you know, again, kids black or not. It's like they're just they're just being themselves, um, as as well as being black or being whatever or whatever other identi- other identifier. Um, they have. Right, right. So before we end, I just wanted to ask a question. Um, at the beginning of the book, you know, there are some questions that you ask yourself um, in the introduction. And I was wondering, after writing the book, do you think you you were, were you able to answer those questions? Or do you feel like you, you have a more, more full understanding of how young people um identify with with black enough you know um i realized that the my questions were unanswered for the most part um because the this is only one example there could be a different volume a different connection collection altogether using uh young young people's writers and have different types of stories we know that Mm-hmm. Um, it would have a different type of feel. Uh, going into the anthology, somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought I'd have one of those like BET specials or something where um, there was one type of blackness, but there'd be different types of blackness within that one type of blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised at uh, all the very various stories. Um, I, I think... Basically, it was a learning experience for me. Um, Not everyone identifies with blackness in the same way, and that all has to do with upbringing, uh, setting, the the type of setting that we grew up in, and how we interact with our own racial history or race in general. So um, I, I still, we still have not come together to have a conversation as an as authors. Um, and also another thing that I realized is that writing and following our dreams of becoming a writer is a certain privilege. It, it doesn't mean that we are privileged. It is a privilege to have the time to write, to follow through. Um, it's a certain access to whiteness. Uh, we have to be able to navigate um, the culture and the industry in a certain way. So we all share that know-how as authors. So if I were to do another collection, I would want to find authors who are kind of in these these very black envelopes or they've never had to interact with whiteness in the same way that we do and what sort of stories would come from that experience. Um, I don't have any stories set in Chicago. Um, I don't have any stories set in Detroit, although American Street is set in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I wanted um, to see what it's like to be in Compton, uh, California, or Oakland, uh, rural Florida, uh, South Carolina, the deep south. So the anthology can only be as diverse as the authors. And. Hopefully that also speaks to the fact that there'll be more there'll be more authors of color that can bring 
to the to the to the collective those stories. So I think it almost sort of like one begets the other. In order sometimes right. to have those experiences and stories, we also need more of those authors. So I'm hoping that even parents who listen to this, if their little son or daughter or however their child child identifies says, you know, they ultimately want to identify and say that I want to be an author and it's because of reading a book like Black Enough or any book that like, you know what, that's an opportunity for them to share their experiences and we can help cultivate that next generation. I know that it, those mm-hmm. writers exist. Again, it's also shining a light on those and giving them opportunities as well. So I look forward to reading those stories um, and I also continue to look forward to reading um, your contribution to um, to the experiences for youth and even adults to enjoy and read. Okay, yeah, I so I hope so too. I hope it can be unpacked in classrooms, um, even in classrooms where there are no black students, <laughs> or there's the one or two. Um, everybody can relate to any one of these stories. Thank you so much for joining me today, Evie. Thank you so much, Jackie. We'll take a short break, and we'll return. When we return, we'll have an interview um, with Leah Henderson, who is one of the authors of Black Enough, the anthology. Black Enough: Stories of Being Young and Black in America, and Leah Henderson happens to be one of the authors, um, one of the collective of authors who participated in the in the anthology. So, welcome, Leah. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm wonderful. It's great to speak with you again. Um, I spoke with Leah on, a, on another podcast that I host called Talking About Books for Kids um, about, um, about her, her debut novel. What attracted you to working on this project? So first of all, I think when we look at the books out there for kids of color in general, there are a lot of books that speak to only one vantage point of, of life in, for instance, in the black community. And a lot of the books that have been coming out of late do deal with a lot of suffering and black pain, or we have a lot of books, you know, that are talking about slavery or the civil rights movement and things like that. We're kind of put into these boxes. And one thing about this anthology and one thing um, that EB was looking at was just stories of us being us. And so for me, that was really at the cornerstone of why I got excited when I even heard about that, that she was thinking about doing this. And that's why I wanted to be, um, that's why I was honored to be asked to be a part of it. So your contribution um, to the anthology um, is called Color Warning, Color May Fade. And I had an opportunity, well, definitely um, reading the book, and I, prior to this interview, um, read your short story. And I was surprised at how it started and how it ended up. It, it, didn't, it didn't end as expected for me, but that's why I loved it. And I was just wondering, what was your inspiration for, um, for your, your contribution, The Warning, Color May Fade? Um, so with this... With this story, um, Evie, when she was looking at what she wanted to do with the anthology, she was looking at people's personal life experiences and wanted to pull and wanted us to pull from those for our stories. And so she knew that I had gone to um, a prep school 
and in a really affluent community. And so she wanted me to explore that. And I actually, if I'm being completely honest, I was very hesitant because I just, it, it's not something that I often really delve into. So for me, it was kind of like, oh goodness, now I have to go into this world that I was a part of and, and really, it was close to home, put it that, put it that way. Um, and so when I started, I really honestly didn't even know where I was going to end up. And it just kind of took, it, I, I let it take me on the journey and I kind of figured it out as I went along. But I knew that there were some key components that I wanted to be in there. And one of them is that even when you come from a place of privilege as a black person, there are still things that remind you of the difficulties of having brown skin. And so I, and it, and it can be on a different level. It can be in a different way, but, but they're still out there and there's still things that we have to face and we have to, to look at and acknowledge and figure out where we sit with a lot of things. And so that's what I was thinking about when I wrote Warning Color Me Feed. Now I think it's I think what's what's interesting um and just want to circle back to to what you mentioned before sort of what inspired you know what really what really drew you to writing the book the fact that you know the black experience is not a monolithic or one dimensional experience right. and I was wondering how that sort of shaped again your your writing of that work and again you said it it was close you know some a similar experience that the that the character you know, in terms of going to prep school, maybe you know, it's not autobiographical. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just like, like how do you how do you draw draw from that the intent of the book, also a lived experience, right? Because you're African American, I'm African American, but again, we know each experience is different. Like, so how do you how do you draw from that to then inf- to influence the work, and then also how you hope that that work will be received? I think. Um Anyone will tell you when you're writing, you should really, truly maybe start with writing for yourself and writing the story that you want to tell and not thinking about the outside world at the onset. Um, The outside world definitely comes into it, but I think when you're trying to put words down on the paper, it can be a way to stifle you when you think about um, how people are going to interpret your words or the situations the characters are in. So you kind of write for you first. And although um, it's about my prep school experience at a very privileged place, um, it was a very different story than my world. I have extremely supportive parents. Um, and, and so that part was a departure from my own personal life. But in terms of just writing the story and figuring out my characters, I think I, I just wanted to tell a good story that had black characters in it. And I think, I mean, I think that definitely comes across. And again, I, I think I want to go back to, um, just the whole concept of the book and each of the stories that the individual authors wrote. Whether and, and again, I can't I can't speak for each of those authors if they pull from their own life experiences to 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 infuse the work, right, or even to inspire the work. But I think the book does a great job, like you said, of sort of um, creating the complexities, the dynamics. The individuality, um, the, the the experiences that are, that are varied for individuals who who identify as Black or African American, and I was wondering how you feel. How do you feel about that? Um, well, knowing that 
EB was very intentional in wanting to see, you know, black girls outside, black kids in the city, black kids, you know, in the suburbs, black kids in, in different, in different um, venues and perspectives. So she was very intentional in that way. So the stories she was asking for, they might not be completely based on our personal experiences, but she knew of our personal experiences enough or she knew of things that we were interested in enough to say, this is what I want to hear about. And, and so it started from there. And so I think with everyone, whether it is their ultimate personal experience on the page, it's coming from a place of knowing because that was their lived black experience in some way, shape, or form, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. So if you could put yourself back in your adolescence um, and knowing what you know now, what do you, what do you hope that, what would you have hoped that your, your 17-year-old self would have gotten from reading a book? And what do you, what do you hope that um, the other 17-year-old or other teenagers or even younger, you know, young adults that are reading this book, what do you hope that they can reflect on or that they take from it? I know when I was growing up, a lot of the time, um, because I, it wasn't, I, I grew up um, in a very affluent white community. And so a lot of the time, I always got, you're not like other black people kind of statements and those types of things. And I feel like a book like this would have set, would have given me this kind of confidence to say, we're not all the same. There, here are examples of so many varied aspects of our life. And to be able to say it with a certainty that you know it inside, you know, like you know in your gut that we're not all what's portrayed on the news or we're not all this or we're not all that because we have family and friends from other, you know, parts of the country or, or wherever that live a different experience. But to be able to see it in one place in a book like this and to be able to share it with your peers in school or something like that. So people can actually see because a lot of people, they're surprised. And, and for me back then, I think I would have just, it would have just been affirming that we're not all the same. And that would have been a wonderful thing because I think that that also allows us as black kids, the freedom to be whoever the heck we want to be and not feel like we're supposed to be one thing or that we aren't black enough or that we're not, you know what I mean? I think Mm -hmm. that a book like Mm -hmm. this does that. And um, so that's something that would have resonated with me um, back then. It would have just given me even more um, kind of, I don't know. I I don't know. Fight isn't the right word, but it would have given me more of like a, a stance on we can be anything. Don't, you know what I mean? Don't try to put me in that box. This is an, these are examples of, of all the many things that we are, and it's not even, you know, brushing the surface. And I, and I want to just, like, put on my parent hat. I think the one thing for me that it does, I mean, I, well, you know, I, I love your writing, um, but I think the one thing that I kind of get out of the book as putting on my parent hat is that sometimes I have to check myself in terms of my expectations of what, I want my kids to be, yeah. or how I, or even how I want the world to see them. And I yeah. think in some ways, I think in reading your book, I mean, I can say like, you know, I'm a pediatrician, right? So, I, okay, I have some privilege, right? But again, like you said, like 
the the fact that you identify or people identify you a certain way, you know, that privilege, it helps in some circles, but in other circles, right, you're going to be, you're going to be labeled as this individual. But at the same right. time, it's, for me, reading this book, it's freedom in the sense that, you know what, I need to step back as a parent sometimes and not necessarily always take, like, you know, we talk about this, um, how we're t- typically portrayed and even how some of the stories are portrayed, right, it either is either fear-based or historical, the historical content. And there's a lot of weight to that. But like you said, a kid being a kid, then you know what? I need to take the pressure off my kids and, like, understand that, you know what? Kids come in different forms and different experiences, and there might be an opportunity for me to then um, share, understand what my kids are going through as a parent through having these, um, again, multi, multiple um, perspectives, um, of kids being kids and just being themselves. I mean, that's how yeah. I felt as a parent, you know, um, reading that book. And I, and because the podcast sort of helps, the hope is to help parents kind of, kind of deal with some of these issues. Like, and I talk about the intersection of race, culture, and identity. I think this book kind of hits that, right, in terms of how you identify yourself um, by gender, um, by race, by ethnicity, by place, by economics, and then how you're, how we define our culture, and I think that was I think that was definitely done done well in this book, and I and I just definitely would tell parents, but I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if that ever was if that's ever an intent of a writer with this kind of with this sort of book to think like how else it can be be used as a tool besides just it for an enjoyment reading and oh no I think it definitely I think it definitely I think that definitely comes into especially books like this because mm-hmm. it's. You know, it, there are layers. There, these kinds of books, there's a lot of layers in there. And I know that I've talked with people before about certain topics where I've written this. If you write something for entertainment, that's great. But then if you can embed within that entertainment levels of understanding for kids that need to know it, that kids are in this experience and understand what those words meant, where somebody else might just take the entertainment value, the kid that needed to hear a certain thing is going to hear that in that book. And then you take it on the next level where parents, like you said, can, can have a different outlook on some of the things that they're, they're dealing with with their own children or things that they discuss with their kids this can be an avenue in. It could be a way to talk about things. And so that's another level. And then you go on to the level of teachers in schools where they don't see a lot of kids of color, where they don't see our experiences besides what they, what they get on TV or in magazines or in videos or whatever. And so then there's another layer there. And and that's just a matter of um, taking the book and its value in being what you need it to be. Oh man, I think, and I think that I think you all have done that. Um, there are definitely some. You all are superstar. I mean, I'm like, oh man, like running down the list: Marian Johnson, Justina Ireland, yourself, um, Rita Williams Garcia. I mean, I can go on and on. Evie's a boy. I think this has been. I think this is a wonderful book. I mean, I'm always going to say it's great. Great that that there are writers out there that provide different perspectives and different opportunities for kids to see themselves reflected. And um, I think you've done, done a wonderful job um, with your contribution as well as your, your other, other fellow writers. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I, it's one of those books that you're proud to be a part of. You're really proud to be a part of, and you can hold it up and say, 
check this one out. Um, there's, there's hopefully something in there for everybody. And, and, and it's one of those things where you say it and you, and you have the feeling that it's definitely true. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Leah. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of What is Black Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Also, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. Until next time.